A while ago, I saw a music video from a band that I enjoy listening to. Uh, their name is Mute Math, and they filmed a music video for their song, Typical, that I believe anyone who likes music, at least rock music, should definitely go and see this music video. It's probably the most impressive feat of musicianship I've ever seen. Later today, you can go look it up online. I'm not going to show it to you this morning, uh, but when I watched it, there were some weird things happening in the video that confused me as I watched it. It was, um, it just couldn't understand how in the world did they make this video? Well, the band also posted another video online called The Making of the Music Video for Typical. And as I watched this video, their explanation, it was basically a behind the scenes explanation of how they filmed it, and it blew my mind. Basically, what they did, they first took the music from the song, and then they reversed the recording. So they put it on a CD backwards, okay, and they gave it to all their band members. And so everyone in the band took the CD, and they learned their individual parts completely backwards, okay? So the drums, the bass, the guitar parts, the vocals, everything was done backwards. And then they actually filmed their music video as they performed the song backwards, okay? After this, they took the whole video and they reversed that. So it was back to forwards. And so they are, it looks like they're performing the song normally, except that all these things that happen backwards are happening forwards in the video, and it looks really bizarre. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting how they did it. So like a, um, a guitar, you know what that is, like a piano and a guitar combined? It's actually disassembled in a matter of seconds. But what it looks like in the video is that he's actually putting it together to play the guitar. Or pieces, or um, fresh paint splattered is actually flying off of the lead singer. It's just really a neat video. But seeing the behind-the-scenes explanation of the video really was fascinating to me. I think that my mouth hit the floor as I just watched the explanation and then I went back and re-watched the actual video. But I think that as humans, we like seeing that kind of thing. We like seeing how things happen behind the scenes. We like seeing um, how things are put together. Uh, it's why many movies you get today or DVD special features will show you behind the scenes commentary or documentaries about how things are made. Speaking of behind the scenes, though, I think that many of us as people, whether we're at work whether we're at church or just in general in life, we like being behind-the-scenes people. Some people will crave the stage. They, they like attention. They like being the center of attention, or they like their work being seen. These are many of the extroverts among us. You may be one of them. On the other hand, there are many people who go about not necessarily liking being seen. They like being behind the scenes, and so... They would prefer not being noticed, or their work is okay being noticed, but it's okay if they never get mentioned. Uh, We like working behind the scenes, keeping to ourselves, living pretty private lives. I think we'd all lean one way or the other of being either more a private individual or a public individual. But I think there's a problem with seeing ourselves as only behind-the-scenes individuals. And that is that we can't live our entire lives in privacy. It's impractical, it's inadvisable, and really, it's impossible 
to live our entire lives in privacy. The same goes for the most outgoing or public people. We can't also live our lives in the our entire lives in the limelight. It's impossible to do this. There's a necessity for times of privacy in our lives, no matter how much you like being the center of attention. And often, I think, if we see ourselves as one way or the other, as private or public, in the times that we are forced to be different, in the times we're forced to be the opposite of what we prefer, so when we, if we're public and we're forced to be alone, or if we're private and we're forced to be with other people, we begin to live, lead separate lives. We become very different people depending on whether we're alone or with others. And you ask, well, what's the problem with that? Well, as Christians, I believe we are called to live the same whether we're in company or whether we're alone. It's called having integrity. That's what integrity is. We're called to stand out in integrity. Integrity is living your life the same way whether you're in public or whether you're in private. Today we're going to consider what it would mean for each of us to live that way every day of our lives. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. We've been going through a series on what it means to be people who stand out in our world. And to do so, we've been going through this book of Daniel. It's been fascinating Today we're going to be looking at one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, or at least the Old Testament, popularly called Daniel in the Lion's Den, right up there with Noah and David and Jesus. <laughs> it's a very popular story. But we're going to learn some things from this story about the value and about the practice of integrity in our lives based on Daniel's example. But before we read the story, I just want to pray for us, okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that each one of our hearts would be open to hearing from you, that you would teach us all. Um, We pray that we'd see things in this text we've never seen before, that your Holy Spirit would be um, really moving in us, changing us, uh, and making us more like your Son. We ask this in his name. Amen. So last week, if you remember in chapter 5, We read about the fall of the Babylonian Empire. And chapter 5 ended with Darius the Mede and the Persians taking over. Chapter 6 is going to begin sometime into the reign of Darius while Daniel is still alive. Apparently, as the Persians took over the Babylonian Empire and they took control of the Babylonian government, they wisely didn't just kill everyone off. Okay, some empires did that, but they didn't do that. They recognized that they would need help governing this new large empire of theirs, and they rightly assumed that some of the um, Babylonian leaders and advisors were good keeping around. They were worth keeping around. Daniel was one of these. Even though he was getting pretty old by now, he was over 80 years old, they found him useful. He was a, he was a brilliant political mind and advisor. So this chapter begins with Darius appointing some people to help rule the empire. They would serve underneath him, kind of like governors or senators or MPs. Read with me verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. 
Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So not only was Daniel already one of the top three administrators in the kingdom, but the king wanted to soon make him even greater than that. He wanted to, he planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Well, this intention of the king really uh, ignited some jealousy from the satraps and other administrators who decided that they would try to dig up a little political dirt on Daniel. The only problem was there was no dirt to be found. Read with me in verse 4. It says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. From Daniel's example here, I think we learn a first point of what it means to have integrity in our lives. In your notes, I put it this way. That standing out in integrity means not being corrupted by the world around us. If we want to stand out in integrity, we must not be corrupted by the world. It means not being corrupted by the world around us. In the royal courts of Babylon and Persia, Corruption would have been rampant, especially right at this time of a political turnover, the magnitude of Babylonians, the Babylon's fall and Persia's rise. If you think about it, all the people who were allowed to survive in Babylon and had some form of power in this kingdom would have been grasping at anything they could to hold on to some of their power. And so most of them would have likely done whatever was necessary to hold on to that, to, to regain some of their power. So the satraps, jealous of Daniel's newfound power, thought that surely if Daniel survived the empire so long, I mean, he was about to be appointed over this entire Persian empire, there has to be some kind of dirt on him. There has to be a, some way that he corrupted himself in order to hold on to that power. But despite their best efforts, they couldn't find anything on him. It says they... They tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was clearly a man of strong integrity in his life, that he had no corruption. Nowadays, often integrity is spoken of in reference to buildings, right? If I were to run into the church this morning and yell at you all as you're sitting here, everybody out! The integrity of the building has been compromised. What would you do? You'd take off. And what I would just tell you, men, is that it's not safe to be in here anymore. So something has come along, maybe a fire or a flood or an explosion, something that would have compromised the integrity of the building. It means that it has damaged it in some way. That maybe a floor might cave in or a ceiling might collapse or something of that effect. But the fact is that if a building loses integrity, it has been damaged in some way. That's what it means. And when people lose integrity, they've been damaged as well. But they haven't been damaged by fire or water. 
or damaged by sin. And the fact of the matter is that we've all been corrupted in some way. We have. It's a fact. Let me ask you, what ways have you been corrupted by the world around you? If someone were to try to dig up some dirt on you, what would they find? We need to recognize that we have been corrupted in the ways that we've been corrupted so that we can fight against it. Just because we've all fallen doesn't mean that we can't live with integrity. Okay? We can start making it a habit in our life right now by the Holy Spirit's power. So how have you been corrupted? Maybe, maybe you've been corrupted that, to think that it's okay for you to lust after someone else. Maybe you've been corrupted by greed to think that you always need more, more money, more, a better house, a nicer car. Maybe you've been corrupted to think that certain language is okay for you to use. Maybe you've been corrupted by that, that you think certain movies or TV shows are acceptable to see. Maybe you've been corrupted by selfishness that you never serve anyone. Whatever the case, if we want to stand out in, te- in integrity... We must get rid of the corruptions that have snuck into our lives and be like Daniel, in whom no corruption could be found. No corruption. Let's get back to the story. These jealous rulers were devising a plot. They saw Daniel was above reproach in both his God's laws and Persia's laws, so they figured that the only way they could trap him was to make a way that these two laws would clash, that he could not follow both at the same time. So we read in verse 5, Finally these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they devised a conspiracy that would not only keep Daniel in check, but it would get rid of him altogether. Continue reading in verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Why would Darius sign off on such an unusual law here? Why would he choose to do that? Perhaps as a new king... He felt insecure in his power. And he felt that this looked like it would be a good test of loyalty to his subjects and to his advisors, that if if they were to pray to him, it would prove their loyalty to him. It's unclear whether Darius actually wanted to be worshipped and prayed to directly or whether he just saw himself as a mediator between his people and his gods. Okay, It, It was one or the other. Ironically, though, the men that were presenting this test of loyalty to the king 
were actually the least loyal to him. They didn't have his best interests at heart. In fact, they lied to Darius in verse 7 when they said that all the leaders had agreed to their suggestion. Obviously, Daniel hadn't, and he was right up there at the top. So Daniel finds himself in another situation where he must choose. He has to choose between either obeying God or obeying man. And Daniel knew that it would have been forsaking his God if he didn't pray to him, if he didn't worship him. I mean, that's the very first of the Ten Commandments that they went after. And he chose, in this case, to defy the king's new law in order to continue praying to his God. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Stop there for a second. I think we take something away from Daniel's response to this law. And that's this. That standing out in integrity means not having anything to hide. If we have true integrity, we will have nothing to hide in our lives. Standing out in integrity means not having anything to hide. Notice that Daniel here, he wasn't flaunting his faith, nor was he hiding his faith. We are not to be antagonistic or annoying or brash in our beliefs towards people or in our practices. But there's no need to hide them either. It says, now Daniel, when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What Daniel did was nothing new for him. It was his personal habit to pray this way three times every day. And he didn't change his routine just because the king made this decree. He could have closed the blinds. He could have prayed in secret. Here's the key, though, that we see here. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed to be known as a worshiper of God alone. Daniel was effectively given the choice. Either don't pray or get eaten alive by lions. I saw a sci-fi TV show recently where this man and woman were captured by this lion-like animal and taken back to a cave where they were really stored to be eaten later. And as the, um, as the show is watching this man and woman in this cave, the man makes a spear, and he tells the woman, if this animal comes back to eat us, I want you to kill me first, because I don't want to be eaten that way. It's just, it would be a terrible way to die, to be eaten alive. The story in the Bible, though, really shows how important prayer was to Daniel. Think about it. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that most of us, if we were given that choice, we would choose not to pray. It's like a game, would you rather, would you rather not pray for a month, okay, this is a temporary thing, 
Or would you rather be torn to shreds by hungry lions? I don't think it would be a very hard decision for many of us. Prayer isn't nearly as important as it should be for us. If praying to God became a crime tomorrow, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, this doesn't mean that we show off our faith on purpose, that we're trying to flaunt it in the faces of people. Not at all. That would be, that'd be like telling your friend, well, I'm going to heaven and you're not. <laughs> or maybe we're standing up in school and publicly and loudly praying as long as you could. And it, it just go fly in people's faces. Or maybe you bring your Bible to work and before a business meeting starts, you say, um, could I just take a minute and show you what God taught me in my devotions this morning? <laughs> no, that's not what this is talking about. We shouldn't show off our faith as if we're better than other people. But here's the key, that it shouldn't be hidden either. People that know you should know about your faith. Have you hidden it from them? Are there good things in your life that you feel the need to hide? Let's just talk theoretically here. Now, this is not what I'm suggesting you do, okay? But I'm just asking, would you be willing to do this? Would you be willing, if you have a Facebook account at home, to go home and where all your friends can see right on your status, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to do that? Or maybe if you don't have a Facebook account or a computer, would you be willing to go home and stick that as a sign in your front yard? Again, I'm not saying you do that. I'm saying, would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to be known as a follower of Jesus? Or would you be afraid or ashamed of that? Daniel had nothing to hide here. I believe neither should we. As Daniel went to pray, do you notice what he was praying for? In verse 11, it says, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. He's just asking God to help him. He knew that this trouble was coming his way. But the rulers here didn't care what he was praying about. Their plan was unfolding just the way they had hoped. Let's continue reading in verse 12. So they went back to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. This is when the king realizes that he'd been tricked. Been tricked into condemning his favorite advisor. Verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He must have tried to find a loophole in the law he made, but he couldn't do so. Even the king couldn't repeal the law he had just made. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, it would be the same in many of our nations today. When a ruler signs a law into effect, he can't just go the next day and reverse it. 
I mean, it would take months or years of political red tape or legislation to be able to turn the law back to the way it was before. So Darius was forced to go along with this conspiracy. Verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The concept of a lion's den is simple enough. Dig a big pit, throw a bunch of lions in it, starve them, and then throw people, whether they're your enemies or convicted criminals, into the pit. It's that simple. And it would have been a quick and yet very terrifying and painful way to die. Verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, when the king got up and hurried to the lion, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Here we read the king was anguished about Daniel dying. One version says he came to the den with a lamenting voice. Basically, he was already crying about Daniel's assumed death. He was, he was freaking out. He clearly did not have the faith that Daniel's God would actually save him. Even though he prayed that, he figured he wouldn't. But here's the miraculous part of the story. Verse 21. Daniel answered. <laughs> Daniel answered. That's, that's a miracle. <laughs> okay? <laughs> o king, live forever. Daniel should have been dead for sure, torn to a thousand pieces, a nice little snack for these lions. And yet here he is answering the king's question. <laughs> so what had happened? Read it in verse 22. Daniel continues, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Did you see here why Daniel says God rescued him from the lions? Did you see that? Because he was found innocent in his sight. Isn't that interesting? He's speaking of his integrity before God. And then he adds for good measure in verse 22, he says, I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. I think we learned another key thing about integrity here, and that is this, that standing out in integrity needs to continually happen before both God and man. True integrity takes place before God and before man. Standing out in integrity has to continually happen before both God and man. The king recognized earlier, back in verse 16 and verse 20, that Daniel's commitment to his God was a 24-7 thing. In verse 20, he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually. 
been able to rescue you from the lions. If you want to have true integrity, it has to happen all the time. Whether it's in your bed, whether it's in your washroom, at your computer, eating a meal, driving in your car, riding your bike, studying for school, working at your job, relaxing on vacation, playing with your kids, shopping for groceries. All the time. Continually. And then as we continue, Daniel clearly says that this integrity, this continual serving God, is why God rescued him. He says, My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And we learn that both from God and man, this integrity has to be before everyone. First before God, and then before man. Let me ask you this question. Who are you when no one's watching? Actually, that's a bad question, (laughs) because there's never a time that no one's watching. Who are you when only God is watching? We hide the good things in our lives, and I think we also like to hide the bad things in our lives. Integrity means not hiding either. So are there bad things in your life that you feel the need to hide? That feeling of the need to hide them in this case is a good thing, because that's your conscience telling you that it's wrong. Maybe the internet history that you feel the need to erase Or the movie that you went to see that you hope no one from church sees you walk out of. Or the words that you'll only say under your breath, but never loud enough for people to hear. It could be anything. But if we have integrity, we will cut these things off from our lives. So that we are above reproach before man and before God. After all, God sees all those things. Daniel said he was rescued because he was found innocent in God's eyes. But how is that even possible? (laughs) Was Daniel saying that he was actually sinless or that he was perfect? We know that couldn't have been the case based on other things he says. So what was Daniel saying here? That he was found innocent in God's sight. Well, First of all, Daniel wasn't claiming to be innocent in his entire life in this verse. (laughs) He was likely saying that he was innocent of guilt in this specific situation. He was not to blame for this crime. It appears as though um, Daniel was going through what is known as a trial by ordeal. And what this is, if if you think about it, if the king's intention was execution, the king meant to be thrown in the lion's den, and to be executed, there wouldn't have been a time frame on getting Daniel out of the lion's den, right? It would have been permanently. Daniel would have been in there until the lions ate him or until Daniel starved to death. And so that wasn't his intention. Instead, a trial by ordeal was an ancient practice used by many nations, and it was used if someone was suspected of a crime but wasn't necessarily found guilty by a court yet. It's kind of barbaric, but this is what they did. They were tested by being put through a kind of ordeal. 
For example, someone suspected of crime might have been thrown into a river, and if they survived, they were believed to be innocent. If they drowned, the river proved their guilt and performed the execution at the same time. So when Daniel here says that God found him innocent, he was saying that he passed the trial. That God saw him as innocent in this matter, and that's why the lions didn't eat him. But there's more to it than this. Something interesting comes out in the next verse, which we haven't read yet. In verse 23, says this, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Here Daniel seems to change his mind as to why God rescued him. You see that? Before he says it was because he was innocent. Now it says it's because he trusted in his God. I think that's a purposeful connection here. It's not by accident. I believe Daniel was found innocent because he trusted his God. And that's a very close parallel to how we believe we're saved today. If you think about it. See, none of us, no human on earth, like we said earlier, we're all corrupted. We're, none of us are inherently innocent in God's sight. It's impossible. We've all broken his law at numerous points. And these sins deserve an execution. Not just a trial by ordeal, like Daniel. But the one man, the only man in history who was truly and completely innocent, Jesus Christ, was executed for us. He paid our death penalty for us. And then he rose again from the dead to give us life. Now here's the key here. God says that if we trust in Jesus to save us from sin, we're seen as innocent. We're seen as holy. We're seen as righteous in his sight. Daniel was found innocent because he trusted God to save him. And if we trust God and in, his, in Jesus' blood to save us, we are found innocent. Have you trusted in Jesus' blood to save you from your sins? He'll wash your guilt. He'll wash your shame. He'll wash your sins completely away if you do. And then you can have true integrity before God. You can do this today. I'd love to talk to you more. Come talk to me after the service. Talk to a friend who brought you. If we trust in God, he can make us innocent. Daniel's story here, I think, really foreshadows the reality of Christ's story. One commentator says this, As Daniel was framed on a false charge by the Persian administrators, so Jesus was framed by the jealous religious leaders of the day. Jesus, like Daniel, was arrested at a prayer in a private location, the Garden of Gethsemane. Pilate, like Darius, worked for his release. But in the end, both Daniel and Jesus are turned over to be executed. 
However, the big difference between the two is that Daniel emerges without a scratch while Jesus dies. Yet that difference is what underlines the superiority of the reality to its foreshadow. Jesus dies, yet he emerges from the tomb. Daniel's standing out in integrity before God and before man here was rewarded by God. He was rescued. His prayer was answered. He was found without a scratch. He wasn't harmed. And as we'll see later, he, he ends up prospering as a ruler in the Persian Empire. But Daniel's story emphasizes that not only will integrity before God and man be rewarded, but ultimately the story points out the fact that integrity before God is impossible without the saving power of God. Which we can only receive today through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. As the story concludes, Darius turns on Daniel's accusers. Furious that they had deceived him into almost murdering Daniel, he turns the tables on them and gives them the punishment that was intended for Daniel. In verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And just in case someone thinks that maybe the lions weren't hungry, (laughs) and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, this first may bother us, thinking, how could Darius do something like this? Killing all these men, not to mention their families along with them. Or, we have to remember, though, that Darius was a pagan king. He wasn't one of God's people. He wasn't the hero of this story. And nothing in here says that what he did was right in the least. Okay, so we have to remember that when we read that. However, Darius has a second response as we continue, and this response was right, and it was noble, really. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. It says this, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And then he says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We learn one final insight about integrity from these verses as we see what Daniel's integrity ultimately led to. And that's this, that standing out in integrity leads to praise for our God who rescues us. Ultimately, when we have integrity, it shouldn't show us off. It should show our God off. And standing out in integrity does lead to praise for God. As Daniel stood out with a blameless and courageous integrity before God, what did it lead to here? God being praised by those who saw it. So standing out in integrity is just one way that we can fulfill our ultimate purpose on earth, which is to bring glory to God in everything.
read again what Darius concluded as he saw Daniel, or as he saw God rescue Daniel. It really could be a summary of the entire book of Daniel so far. In verse 26, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. If you're, if you're a Christian here, and you were asked, do you want God to be praised with your life? I know that most of us would say, yes, absolutely. I want God to be pleased with me. I want him to glorify him. I want to worship him. That's a, it's a desire of ours. Well, here's a way you can do it. Living a life of integrity before him. When people see you living with integrity, they'll notice it's rare in our world. And they may initially think that, well, you're just a good person. But if they get to know you, and you're bold in your faith, and you share with them your faith, they'll realize that it isn't you that's so good. It's your Savior. The only reason we can even lead lives of integrity at all is because our Savior is so great. And he's so good to us. And when our lives point out this fact, he is praised by our lives. Oh, that people will look at us and come to the conclusion that Darius reaches here by seeing Daniel. It says he's not looking at Daniel, he's looking at his God. For his God is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Oh, that our lives would say that. There's been a lot of hoopla lately about the uh, Christian movie Courageous. And some of you may have gone to see it. I went to see it a couple weeks ago, and I can, I can heartily recommend it for everyone to see it. I don't want to spoil the story for you, for anyone who hasn't, but I was particularly touched by one story in the movie. And that was, it wasn't the main character, so it's not giving away the main thing, but it was one of the, other, one of the side men in the plot. And this man was a poor man with a young family, and he was unable to hold a steady job. He just kept getting laid off or let go. It was hard for him to hold a job. But he was clear about one thing throughout the movie, that he followed Jesus with his life. He lived for Jesus. And over the course of the movie, this man actually gets a job, and he's, uh, it looks like it's going to last. It's a good job for him. It fits him. But then the owner of the company calls this man in to meet with him, and he actually offers him a promotion. And he said, listen, you've been a great worker for us. Um, we want to give you this manager job at the warehouse. But then he puts a qualification on the promotion. And he says that this man has to lie on a shipping invoice that's coming in the next day, basically to prove that he was a trustworthy man and that he was a team player. He could do what was asked of him. Well, this man wrestled with that decision over that night. He was told to give his decision the next morning. He, was, he knew that he would either ultimately be promoted or fired because of this decision, one or the other. 
he finally decided to tell the owner that he just couldn't do it. He could not lie. He could not do what he knew was wrong to do. So he goes into the owner of the business, and he prepares to be let go, tells him his decision. But then it's revealed that all along, the situation was a test, that the owner wasn't interested in someone who would lie. He wanted someone who would choose to do the right thing. And that was the man that he wants running his warehouse. Why did this man choose to do the right thing? Well, because he was a man of integrity. He followed Jesus. And his response was also stirring. As he called his wife in tears, and he didn't say, I won the promotion. He said, God answered our prayer. God answered our prayer. Are you a man or are you a woman of integrity? Do you seek to avoid the corruption of the world around you? Do you have anything to hide in your life? Do you hide your faith from those around you? Do you live as though God is watching you? After all, he is. Let us strive to do so by the grace of God, trusting in him, and this will bring glory and honor and praise to him. Let's pray. Lord, we know we've fallen, that we're not, we're not perfect. We've sinned in many ways against you. That you would send your son to pay for our sins, to take our death penalty. It's astounding to us. We thank you for your grace that enables us to follow you with our lives, enables us to bring praise to you. We pray that we would do that, that we would lead lives of integrity before everyone who sees us, whether it's at work, at school, at home, at church, and then we lead it before you when only you're watching. Please help us. We need your help in this endeavor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.